Welcome to Church Jams Now, the podcast where three former youth... Wow, I already messed it up. The podcast (laughs) where three former youth group kids and current music nerds deep dive into Christian music from the 90s and 2000s. I, of course, am your co-host, Kylan Savage, and with me, as always, is Mr. TJ Smith. Just sprinkling in the flavor tonight, y'all. Oh, there we go. And our beautiful producer, Josh Olson. It's show and tell night, right? Because I have many things. Oh, that, boy. Was that tonight? It was tonight, tonight, Josh. Okay, yes. cool. Good. You can, I'm, I'm you prepared. Please show and tell on our audio-only <laughs> podcast. Yes, and hi, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and we have two guests this week that we have been so excited for. Uh, we have been talking about this for a very long time. From the Moon Traveling Podcast, from Pacifico, from... Half of the albums that we've covered on this show, we have Matthew Schwartz and Aaron Sprinkle. Hey, guys. Hello. Yo. We are so excited to have y'all. How are y'all doing tonight? Oh, thank you. Um, Good. Yeah, I took a shower just for this. Oh, yes. perfect. I'm <laughs> we can tell. I honor. Yeah. Wow. We, we can tell. That's a big deal. Don't let sound don't fresh. do that for Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, guys, so much. Uh, for coming on our show, we've been we've been internally talking about this for a very long time because uh, we we've kind of between the two of y'all we've kind of had some tangential relations to y'all like we've had uh, John Dunn and Troy Glessner on the right. show mm-hmm. which is really fun we've had Stephen Dale on the show I know Matthew's worked with you mm-hmm. we're so excited so Wait. what happened that y'all decided to do our show (laughs) (laughs) that's a great question (laughs) matthew said we're doing this podcast at this time and i said okay hell nice (laughs) i've listened to a couple of y'all's episodes i dig what you do and um yeah with aaron doing the repressing of of moon traveler on vinyl and uh we kind of been in a little bit of a a lull we were kind of ready to jump back into getting some episodes done and um I, i think one of you reached out to me and and said that would be a cool idea and I talked to him, and here we are. Yeah, that's yeah, that's so rad. Oh, another connection. Uh, Luke Bremer uh, is one of our uh, Patreon, and he's doing the vinyl. And I know he's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know y'all Great know guy. him. Yeah, we interviewed him. Just like hung out and talked. He's he's super rad. So shout out to cool. Luke for one more connection uh, mm-hmm. piece right there. So of course uh, we are going to talk about Aaron's album, Moon Traveler. This is really fun. This is a little bit different format for us. We've done this once before uh, with Val Hellman from the W's, cool. uh, where we had a person directly involved uh, go through the album. So I'm, I'm really excited to do that. But before we do that, you know, we like to kind of do a little interview section. And so what I usually ask to start is I'm really interested in origin stories, specifically because our show is about uh, Christian music from the 90s and 2000s. And I want to know kind of what was your experience with quote-unquote Christian music? And just how did you, like, what music did you listen to growing up? Reference points. Cool. Access into that world. So I grew up actually on the island that I just moved to just about two months ago, moved back to called Vashon Island. It's right near Seattle. And um, my parents were a product of the Jesus movement. Um, so like that, the West Coast kind of uh, right. hip, hippies turned Christian 
Jesus movement thing that happened. That subject could be an entire podcast in and of itself. <laughs> but um, the culture was vastly different than what sort of the current evangelical contemporary sort of right. culture was, especially around music. Music was a huge uh, kind of identifying part of that. So I, I grew up, you know, I was born in 74, so I grew up, my first real memories of music were Larry Norman, Randy Stonehill, Phil Kagey, yeah. Daniel nice. Amos, um, Keith Green. Can I can I sidetrack you mm-hmm. real quick and ask, can you off the top of your head name your favorite Larry Norman song? Um, Why Don't You Look Into Jesus is my favorite. Hell yeah. There you Classic. Go. Larry Norman song. We've covered two Especially the original there. version where he says, you know, gonorrhea on Valentine's Day and you're still <laughs> right, looking yeah, for yeah. the perfect leg <laughs> and all that stuff. It's so dope. I love that. Um, and That's I actually awesome. heard, God, who did I hear that from a long time ago? That, And you might know this, but Frank. Francis Black, whatever yes. name, is a huge yeah. Larry Norman fan. Yeah, um, and Larry Norman was cool. working on an album with him and Isaac Brock from right. Honest Mouse, like when he died. Yep, yep. Yeah, that was super I rad. had no idea. <laughs> That's yeah. so yeah. weird. Yeah, <laughs> and it it's funny because I still, I you know, I'm not a believer anymore or anything, but I still love, absolutely love Larry Norman. Us too. But yeah, so and then and then my dad was really into music. My dad was a musician, and so I was into some more obscure kind of Christian stuff too. Uh, one of the best ever was David Edwards, in my opinion. He was hmm. ridiculous, and uh, like Mayan Lefevre, and like you know, second chapter of Acts. You know, all the all the the stuff that was so cool. Mark Hurd, you know, uh, just the coolest stuff, and then. I got exposure through the church my dad was eventually a pastor at, and he was sort of involved with kind of the team that brought in the concerts. We had a lot of concerts at the church, and Randy Stonehill and Phil Kagey were regulars. They would almost nice. play once a year. Cool. And uh, mm. so I kind of got to know them a little bit. My dad did in particular. Um, Phil Kagey, I got to know better. But um, my dad's connection to Randy Stonehill is actually how – Poor Lou got signed to Frontline Records. Um, oh wow! Randy nice. Stonehill gave Terry Taylor our demo tape, and that's right. Terry brought it to Frontline, and that's how we got signed, which is super crazy. Wow! Yeah. Um, <laughs> most people, if you told them that story, they'd be like, "I have no idea who any of the people you're talking about are." <laughs> well, this is this is the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is this is the one place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, for it. and you know that music was a gateway for me to... Because my parents were really only listening to Christian music in, when I was young. Um, that eventually changed. They went back to mm-hmm. listening to the Beatles and the stuff that they listened to before, you know, converted. Right. You know, the the stuff that, that my dad especially was attracted to was the stuff that sounded the most like the music he had given up um, right. listening mm-hmm. to. So that was sort of my... You know, Phil Kagey was kind of how I understood the Beatles, you know, and... Oh, wow. And then, you know, when I started listening to secular music, I would be like, oh, this, you know, thing that Randy Stonehill does is very Neil Youngy, or this thing that, you know, I just would start to kind of connect the dots um, Mm -hmm. on that, and and it was a trip, um, for sure. Uh, but fortunately, I was part of what brought 
my dad kind of back into listening to the Beatles, and that was in third grade because um, I heard them and ran home freaking out and telling him about the Beatles, and he was like, <laughs> "That's so." I've cute. heard of them, son. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. love it. Yeah, it's <laughs> also the best. Uh, Matthew, what about you? I want to know a little bit about your origin story too. Uh, yeah, so I grew up in a house. My father was a minister of music and education in the Baptist Southern Baptist uh, Church. So. Pretty much growing up, all I ever remember is uh, like Sandy Patty and and Second Chapter of Acts and stuff like that uh, mm. at the house or or opera music or classical music. They liked a lot of that. Mm. Cool. I remember in my mom's car, she would listen to the oldies stations. So that's how I found out about Beatles and Beach Boys and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it was the only place she listened to it was in the car and only when she was alone, I feel like, and not really as a family. Sometimes that bleed into as we got older. But yeah, and then of course you know hymns and and choir and all that kind of stuff. My right. dad would throw me into choir because he needed extra people. So I would be you know if there was a you know seven year old with you know fifty year olds singing right. because he needed a, <laughs> another voice. I fully relate to that. By the way, yeah, <laughs> just like nice. I was I was the weird seven year old in the choir of seniors <laughs> in my church as a kid. <laughs> They needed uh, uh, someone to hit them high notes. Yeah, and then uh, my personal journey, I feel like my life changed when I went to like a uh, Christian camp and someone played DC Talk for me, and I was like, what is that? Mm. And, um, yeah. and I I was big into them. And then I think the next two bands I found out about were Poor Old Lou and Plank Eye, um, and maybe even <laughs> Mortal was in there. And so yes. I started getting into all that kind of stuff, and then... Me and my brother John, he's two year old, two years older than me. We just went down the rabbit hole, and he got more into the metal stuff, uh, and mm. I got more into the alternative uh, side of things. But we mm. would go to shows all the time. Uh, we were living in the Metro Atlanta area, and there were several different clubs here that would play that had just Christian artists come through. And uh, yeah, it was very uh, formative for me, for sure. Nice, yeah, that's awesome. I guess that's it. So. Um- Really quick, I got to do a part two of mine, too, because I can't leave cool. it out. But <laughs> when I was um, in fifth grade, my my parents moved us back to Orange County, which was, my dad was from L.A., and we went to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa for a year and a half in 1985 and 1984, or 84, 85. And that was when they did the Friday night free concerts, and mm. it was the Altar Boys, Crumbacher, Daniel Amos, um like some of the coolest shows I've ever, ever seen in my life. And these nice. these people were who got my little brain going, "Oh, I, this is I want to do this." Cuz I was mm. just exposed to this real it was very edgy for Christian music, right? It was very like alternative and mm. right. Um that was the whole point where these outreaches. It was a ministry-based thing. It was like, "Come to the church and see a a hip rock show. Right. You know? <laughs> but, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade, you know, my brain just was like, and uh, yeah, that was really cool. And I saw a bunch of cool stuff. I saw some early Michael W. Smith shows in that same era. And oh, nice. A bunch of cool stuff. But um, yeah. Dude, that's so yeah. It is a rich history. <laughs> no kidding. With the deep yeah. cuts, too. Yeah. Yeah. All the originals. Uh huh. Well, should we uh, get into this record? This is going to be my favorite part because for every record that we cover, 
uh, Josh is our our research guy, and mm-hmm. he always we always throw it over to him to give some context of who is the artist, what is the album we're covering, and it's, it's really fun <laughs> <laughs> that you're here, Aaron. So please, please correct him and uh, berate him uh, yes. immensely if he gets any any oh, yeah, any sure. slight detail wrong. Yes. yes, this is an open I'm invitation excited. to just like destroy Josh. Awesome! Yeah, oh yeah, for I'm sure. Got a great audience for it. I've been preparing for it all week, guys. So <laughs> I, uh, I welcome it. And normally, I talk about the origin and career of the artist, but you're here and you talked a little bit about it, and I'm sure we're going to get into some more. So I'm just going to skip over that. But for this record, uh, we've got all vocals, instruments, and programming by Aaron Sprinkle. Uh, we got drum loop on Solace and May by Aaron Melasco. And drums on "Not All Bad" by Paul Muma. Muma. Mm-hmm. Muma. And then Perfect. slide guitar, bass, BGVs, and on "Not All Bad" by Blake Westcott. But mm-hmm. everything else, I believe, was done by you, which is exciting. Amazing. Yeah. So the record that we're talking about is "Moon Traveler," uh, and I have uh, oh, my CD look copy, at you, Josh. and I got my tape <laughs> copy still sealed. Ooh, cool. Hey, so, Matthew's got his too. Yeah. Hey, I don't have it. Know if I needed it or not. <laughs> no, no. Way to come prepared. It's great. Yeah. In case you want to insult. All right, consult the liner notes or insult the liner notes or insult them. You know, either way, they got this wrong. I won't be doing that. (laughs) (laughs) So, the record Moon Traveler was released July 13th, 1999, from what I can find on All Music. So, it is 24 years old currently. It is Aaron's first solo LP. I believe this is where I get like, oh, (laughs) tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, It was released on Organic Records, produced by Aaron Sprinkle himself. And this is what I'm really excited about. It was mixed by J.R. McNeely and mastered by Troy Glessner. So we always talk about the tooth and nail, like the trifecta trifecta, or the tooth and nail trinity. Trinity. Yes, on our show. And I want to hear, Aaron, is this like the first time, was this the origin of the tooth and nail trifecta of y'all three working Mm -hmm. together? It is, yeah. And there, I mean, there are some, I think, pretty interesting stories around that, um, of how that came to be. Uh, particularly with JR on this record. Um, This record actually has a a lot of interesting stories, to be honest, but I don't know if you want to hear those now or uh, as we go (laughs) through or what. We can, we can, if, yeah, if anything comes to mind, whenever it comes to mind. Let me just just start with how this, this, the inception of this record. Let's go. So there was a label out of Oregon, Portland-ish area called Pamplin Records. Mm -hmm. Yes. I believe they had something to do with, was it Family Christian or one of the, oops, I'm looking it up literally right now. But they they were owned by one of the big retail chains. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or maybe owned by this someone that, uh, else that was, you know, one of the founders or part owners of. But right. it was basically, my take on it is it was sort of this scheme of like, well, we're selling all the records. Why don't we own them as well? You know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, Smart. Mm-hmm. They literally came to me and said, we are starting this imprint. And I got the picture that it was sort of to try to do kind of a tooth and nail imprint of Pamplin. Right. right. Which, you know, Alarma was an imprint of Frontline. And, you know, a lot of these labels did their, like, you know, edgy imprint. Alternative. Um, yeah. yeah. Flicker. And so, and they were like, we want you to do a solo record. And I was like... That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> and uh, I had never, 
ever considered doing a solo record. Right in the middle of trying to make Rose Blossom Punch kind of happen. And, you know, we, and Rose Blossom Punch was the reason I quit Boral Lou. So, uh, mm-hmm. but the thought of using my name, my funny name that I got made fun of growing up and stuff, um, to make a record. And then they were like, then they told me how much money the budget was. And I was like, I would be happy. And the funniest part is, is I think it was $8,000 was the budget. So, um, Hey man, is, it was a different economy. Not a lot of, well, even back then, that's <laughs> not a lot of money. Um, but I knew I could make it myself. So that's how it all came to be. Anyway, there's a lot more, uh, but. Well, okay. So I'm, 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 curious and and you can uh speak to this or not but with a budget uh, specifically with a budget of eight thousand dollars at this mm-hmm. time that's fourteen thousand four hundred eighty six dollars thank right. you matthew appreciate <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. The, the relative <laughs> economics there what did you spend that on I, i'm curious specifically because i i literally and why was it red bull i spent it on Bill on bills is what I spent it on. Yeah. There you go. Um, you go. No, it, probably mostly. I remember I bought a couple pieces of gear. One of those pieces of gear was one single ADAT machine. Mm. Oh, wow. Which this album was recorded on ADAT. Oh, cool. Awesome. Nice. I was, I was using them at, I was familiar with them because one of the studios that I kind of cut my teeth in and kind of continued to use had switched over to ADAT. Hmm. And the biggest thing about ADATs that made them accessible is the media was inexpensive. Um, you know, a reel of two-inch tape back then was $150 for... Right. If you ran it at, you know, 30 ips or 15 ips, you're only still only getting under 30 minutes of recording time. Right. And then having a tape machine is just this massive thing and super expensive and a huge pain in the ass to mm-hmm. align and all that. So I bought an ADAT and I bought... This is another... A uh, fun little fun fact that you guys might think is f- funny. Um, all of the guitars on that album are an original Bean Pod Line Six Bean Pod. Oh wow! Nice. So wow. I know that I bought so one no of those. No real amps or anything. No, it's just that Bean Pod. That's wow. it. Crazy. That's rad as hell. I mean, that just shows you. <laughs> that just shows you that good ear is all you need. To, right. To make yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. there's a rumor, and I don't know if it's true, but there's a rumor that the Cardigans Long Gone Before Daylight, the entire album, is a bean pod. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, which is some of my favorite guitar tones ever are on that record. I mean, the album oh, wow. I did with Jason Martin, we did with with Line Six. So yeah. I mean, hmm. so yeah, I got one of those. They were very yeah, they were very new, and the reason was I, I recorded it at home. Well, at least I tried to. That's a whole other story, too. I ended up recording it in someone else's home um, <laughs> in the 11th hour, like crammed all of it, finished it in a very short amount of time. And oh, and I also bought, I do remember, the really kind of main thing I spent money on, uh, which is what I did all of the drums with. I, was, I bought an Akai MPC 2000 uh, nice. sampling drum machine as Sweet. well. Nice. And probably a mic, I think I bought, yeah. So none of those folks that Josh listed as people that played on the album, those weren't the big budget items, like paying for their time. <laughs> it was it was the, the no so the ADAT. Right. One of the songs, so Melasco um, came, because I did a lot of the drums just, okay, I'm just going to have to 
get into this in order to answer this question. <laughs> I got super behind on the record. I couldn't really focus in my house. And I was talking to my friend who at the time was dating my other, one of my oldest friends, Jeremy Enoch from Sunny Day Real Estate. And he was on tour and she was staying at his house. And she's like, just come finish it in his basement. There you <laughs> go. Nice. So he had a drum kit down there. Oh, yeah, I had this Bayer M88 ribbon mic that I used for all the drums, and I just set it in one spot, like... Yes. And, like, literally just got it to where it was kind of sitting in one spot, and then I individually sampled all the drums from there just by myself, and then played played them on my um, MPC. And I didn't move the mic, so, you know, so the kick and the snare and the hats and everything were... So, and it was just a mono. It was a mono mic. Oh, Wow. But it just it made it feel like one per, like a performance because it wasn't Included individual um, you know mic placements of different right. things. Wild. So it was the same room, same kit, same. I love that. Mic, so everything. cool. Yeah, that's so I kind of faked weird. that. Oh, and then I had this Yamaha synth. It was like this blue Yamaha synth. I don't remember what the model was, but that's all the keyboards on that, or this one Yamaha that was like the one i could afford basically uh right it nice. had like a i remember it, i picked it because of the wurlitzer sound on it. it was like decent and then like that's so funny one of my specific notes was asking about the wurlitzer sound on, on it's this <laughs> blue yamaha synth from 1998 that's, that's fucking it. rad dude yeah amazing <laughs> cool so usually what we do before we go track by track is to ask everybody what is their history <laughs> with this record. Aaron, I think I think you got into that a little bit, obviously. Mm. <laughs> uh, so I do I, I do want to hear from Matthew and Josh and TJ. I got one more thing to add before we get into that too, because uh, I'm looking at the, I was reading through the album thing earlier, just to make sure I was up to speed. Uh, Aaron, do you remember this? They had the, or- the organic sure thing guarantee. Do you know what that is? No, I don't remember that. Let's see if I can read this small writing again. It says, uh, <laughs> if you are dissatisfied with the music on this project for any reason, Organic Records will be happy to replace your purchase with something more like to your liking. Please return the CD along with any description of the music style you prefer to the following address. Please that be sure to wild. include a snail mail and email address uh, and four <laughs> weeks for delivery. And then they will send you. So, did anyone return your album? I would. Uh, I would love to have some some data. I've never heard that. How that many moon travelers were returned? That would yeah, be and the analytics on like what they got instead. Right. Know? No, yeah. all the data. Well, yeah. <laughs> That'd be so fascinating. I just read that and I was like, "What? What a great catch, Matthew! <laughs> Thank you. Crazy. That was awesome. You're welcome. That's why you read the liner notes, people. You that's know? the organic that's sure thing guarantee. Where else are you going to get that? That's yeah. the guarantee. That's so. Cool. Uh, I think we'll start doing that on this podcast too. So if <laughs> yeah, anyone listened to this podcast, <laughs> yeah, you didn't like yeah. it. You didn't like yeah, it. Yeah, then well. go listen to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you there go. You go. Ooh, yeah. They probably already have. <laughs> probably the other way around. Know or I know. I was, I was already thinking about that because usually at the end we do plugs, but I also cannot fathom a world in which people that are listening to our show like don't know what you don't guys are doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so I just think yeah, you funny. never know. But maybe there's know. one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Matthew, what is what is your history with with this record? How familiar are, are you 
with this record? How did? Yeah, uh, the the real answer is I was a huge Poor Lou fan. I I bought every album um, after I bought the first one when they came out, and mm-hmm. I sadly never got to see them play during their original conception or whatever. Um, and then uh, when they broke up, I followed everything they did from Jesse's. It's not called The World Inside. That's something he did later, isn't it? I can't remember the Sunsight was his first. Thing. Yeah, Sunsight. Yeah, I liked that. And then I, you know, Rose Boss Punch and, yeah, Aaron's solo record. And I bought this record immediately as soon as it came out. Didn't have a clue what it sounded like and and then fell in love. It was well written, well produced. Uh, yeah, Aww. all the songs are bangers. That's so sweet. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. We hadn't got there yet, but I think it holds up. Sweet. Yeah, that, well, that's what I was, I was about to say. Like, So we usually, too, you know, classify whether we think the album is a flop or a bop is sort of our podcast <laughs> re- reductive way. And it sounds like it, it, it's a bop from Matthew. <laughs> yeah, I, I had not heard it in probably several years until he announced that he was re-releasing it. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going to go back and listen to that. And I went back and listened to it. And yeah, I but that was a couple months ago. But yeah, I doubt it's not a bop anymore from then. <laughs> So yeah, Bob. Sweet. <laughs> All right, uh, TJ. What about you? I'm gonna put you on the spot, man. Well, we've talked about insults and uh, being berated. That might be coming down the pipe pretty quick. Because I've actually never heard it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll be honest. Like I, I have largely been aware of Aaron as a producer and an engineer, and as this person that has made amazing things happen for other people and was only kind of vaguely aware of of your own like music um, yeah. over the years. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I even kind of dug into the music that you were making under your name mm-hmm. and, and was aware of uh, Lou and, you know, some of the other projects, but just like only out in the orbit kind of. Mm-hmm, so yeah. This speaks to our age too, TJ, because like, yeah. For sure. Same, same for me. Because like, Aaron, I first became aware of who you were because of You Are My Sunshine by mm. Copeland and then mm. started to, yeah, that it was like that very definite sort of mid-2000s tooth and nail, mm-hmm. you know, before moving into everything else. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, TJ. No, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad I'm glad to know we're, we're we have similar backgrounds with that because it was, yeah, it was kind of going back. It was like a retroactive look at like, oh, you have been prolific and you've been up to all kinds of amazing things. And so it's been a fun world to to open up and 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 dive inside of. Um, but it's been more recent. Cool. You know, I didn't have kind of a a nostalgic relationship with mm-hmm. with any of this stuff, um, which makes it actually really fun because I'm able yeah. to come at it like fresh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's it's been really great to to check out your your stuff and. Um, I can't wait to to talk about it, but I feel like maybe Josh has a little bit of uh, <laughs> more more connection or knowledge to to lend to the conversation. Who me? Yeah, you. Uh, uh, maybe a little <laughs> bit. Yeah. Uh, for context out there, I was like the kid who was reading all the liner notes of all the CDs that I bought or whatever. So I would just like be like, "Oh, this Aaron Sprinkle guy is showing up on like a lot it's of these everywhere. CDs." <laughs> yeah. So. I don't know at what point it was that like I kind of like went found fair and then found like your solo and stuff like that. But I think it was like it was probably pre water and guns, like a little bit mm-hmm. before that time. But 
I mean, I know a little bit of like Aaron Sprinkles oh solo God. stuff. Oh so like, I there's Josh's classic Foley work. Can you hear the jewel yeah, cases yeah. rattling? Yeah, all, these, all these jewel cases here. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I've definitely listened to. I'm surprised you haven't returned any of those. Yeah, I should. Uh, the know? organic guarantee. Yeah, I don't. I'll have to look on Kindest Days and see if it's still in effect on that record as well. well but Hamplin doesn't exist anymore, so you might have it. <laughs> Well, you can still return it to... You can return it to Matthew. 10209 yeah, Southeast Division Street, Portland, Oregon. TJ, can you drive that over for me? Yeah, yeah. man, I got you. That's okay, like 15 perfect. minutes from my house. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm keeping mine, but maybe someone okay. else's. Yeah, yeah. So. Got it. Yeah. So, does that answer your question, Kyle? I hope I, hope I did. Other than I think so. Showing well, off. Well, I just really also, to like, what off. about this record? Oh, I know. You, you, did. you didn't answer my question at all. You just showed off. <laughs> How do you feel about this record? Like, what's your context and history with this record? I've definitely listened to your first three records a good amount. I think mostly whenever I go back to listen to, like, I really love Water and Guns. That's probably my favorite record of yours. Um, but whenever I go back to listen to, like, all the originals, I mostly just listen to Lackluster because mm-hmm. I feel like it pulls a lot of good stuff on mm-hmm. from everything. So. It was cool to kind of like revisit all of this of like, oh, the in-between tracks, because there's one song on here that should have been on Lackluster that is always super fun to listen to. But oh, yeah, good. so that's that's my that's It's really interesting, um, you guys, because like the older fans are always disappointed when my records don't sound like Moon Traveler. Like you're, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and none of them really do, right? Like, right. like especially real life. They just were like, this guy oh, is yeah. whatever. Bye. What you know? <laughs> yeah, like, I, there was some really funny review of that one where they were just like, you know, stating all of this, these wild assumptions as facts. And like, you know, it's... Mm. He's trying to be relevant and all these things, and I'm just like, "What are you talking?" <laughs> you know, it's oh, they were like, "It's really sad that he that he feels like he has to make a record like this." And uh, and you know, Water and Guns wasn't much different. No, it seemed like a natural trajectory. Yeah, and it was just I only ever make the records I want to make, and I'm right. always super self conscious about making them, I and I have no delusion that I'm gonna make some record and become super famous and all that i think that i think that's interesting hey jammers so we're taking a break from this incredible episode to talk about our favorite sponsor ever guys what is it it's not just cds it's colliderecords.com <laughs> but you know they do have cds they do have and CDs. a lot of other cool stuff too yep including Josh, what do they have? Man, so we're talking about Aaron Sprinkle and his record Moon Traveler. And, and two to, Aaron Sprinkle. And two Don't Aaron Sprinkle. <laughs> with Aaron Sprinkle. And Matthew Schwartz. <laughs> so if you go to Clyde Records and you look for Aaron Sprinkle, this CD actually shows up, and it's right now, it's on a pretty great sale right now. So I don't know if this was like Like an how organ- good of a sale? Like it's like it's two dollars. It's two dollars. Oh, oh my god! And oh my god! His second, his second record is two dollars as well. Which I don't know where you're finding like these new as well. Like I don't know where you can find right. these new old stock CDs, which I'm kind of into. I love, but I also want to say you can get his 2013 CD Water and Guns, which I love, and they need to do a vinyl record of it. They have his 2016 album on vinyl, 
real life nice. and a purple as well. So they got Ooh, they got some great man. air and Clyde's got all stuff. kinds of sprinkle. They've got all the sprinkle sprinkles. The best sprinkle sprinkles. Oh yeah. And I mean, the cat's out of the bag if you look for all the stuff he's produced. I'm sure that they've got all the other kinds of stuff that he's yeah. he's worked on behind the boards, but if you're looking for some air and sprinkle recorded goodness, look no further than Collide Records. That's true. And the best part is... What's the best part? It's our promo code, Kyle. Did you forget? Yeah, promo code? I did forget. Yeah, man. Okay, well, it? I'll just... I'll remind you. Uh, if you just use uh, Church Jams now on your first order, you can get a sweet 20% off. So get all the sprinkle sprinkles and throw that sweet promo code in there to get 20% off, y'all. Heck Do it yeah. now. Dude, if you buy two CDs at $10... And then use our promo code Church Jams now at checkout. You can get two Aaron Sprinkle CDs for free. Exactly nice. how that works out. That's a great Fast deal. math. <laughs> oh yeah, I love it. Fast <laughs> uh, yeah. So once again, go to CollideRecords.com, type in promo code Church Jams now at checkout, and get twenty percent off your first purchase. All right, that's it for us. Let's get back to the show. The funny thing is, so I, I've been listening to this record this week. And I, I was listening to it today in the car with my wife, and she was noting that even even just on this record, like song to song, there's a, a lot of variety of kind of style. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is, Aaron, she... So I, I've been talking about this interview for a few weeks and, and how excited I am. And much like everything else on this show, so my wife has no context for yeah. any of this. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I'm so excited. Like, this is going to be so cool. And she's like, okay, it's just like some guy, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but she has one of your songs on one of her playlists. It's like a Mountain Vibes playlist because she's really into like uh, Granddaddy and, mm-hmm. and, sparkle horse and mm-hmm. you know like chill dudes from the pacific northwest yeah. <laughs> basically yeah. is kind of like her favorite <laughs> kind of music cool. uh, and and had a song uh from this record but we were talking about like how you're just like a music guy and how like i just extremely relate to that idea of just you know whatever is kind of whatever you're kind of fixating on at the moment so i've like it, it's just wild to me when when people expect their favorite artist or or band to remain the exact like they Stay like everyone everyone says they want the same but then if you do the same it also like it's just like a lose-lose situation yes. for yeah. c- yes. perpetually creating art <laughs> yes a hundred percent but i am a hundred percent guilty of doing that like mm. i mm-hmm. like i just could give two shits about anything Radiohead did after OK Computer. I just, I was so <laughs> mad at them. You're, this, you're the same kind of listener that, like, heckles you yes, as an artist. Yes, 100%. 100%. <laughs> That's great like, self-awareness. Like, Wilco, anything after Yankee, I just do not right. care. Like, like, <laughs> like, th- but that's because we make it p- so personal, right? Like, The Benz right. is my favorite, it's my favorite Radiohead record, right? And mm-hmm. OK Computer, mm-hmm. it was this amazing... S- departure from that in its way but that was as far as i wanted them to go you know what i'm saying (laughs) and like and so i think that while it's can be annoying and frustrating as an artist to be like you know in that cliche of like you know the first thing is you're always trying to beat the first thing you did right is to your fans 
Right. It's also beautiful because it means that they so identified with it and so made yeah. it their own record that mm-hmm. they're dis- if they can be disappointed in something I did, then that's beautiful. Like, because yeah. they, they could also they just literally not care that. at all about anything I did, mm-hmm. right? right. <laughs> so, like, you know, there's something kind of cool about that. Yeah, no, I think that's the interesting thing about music is like, it's both wholly the artists and wholly the listeners 100%. somehow. Yeah. And and having to let go of it. We've talked about this and like uh once it leaves the artist's hands it's no longer ours. Yeah. Right. It's, right. It's now yours, you know, right. and or the listeners, you know. And um I think that yeah, that they grow grow an attachment to it and then yeah, like you're saying, any anything that's different from what they 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 see themselves in it, and they think they know mm-hmm. you in it, and then if they see that you're different than they thought they were, they feel betrayed. Right. Right. Yeah, it's the parasocial relationship where they feel super, like they feel this level of understanding that may or may not actually be accurate at all, and yep. and Correct. that betrayal is even maybe like totally subjective and and kind of based on a persona or an idea that's entirely conceptual or absolutely and limitations (laughs) in this in the case of this record this record sounds the way it does purely because of my limitations that i had when i was Mm. making Mm. and i have come to believe that limitations are one of is one of the coolest things right ever Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it is so important to some records but you know, you so there's some some of my favorite records by certain artists. I find out later they literally despise these records. Like, mm. like <laughs> Elliot Smith hates Figure Eight, and that mm. is yeah. unpopular opinion. I know, but it's my favorite Elliot Smith album. And yeah. even this random this the Cult, who I absolutely love the Cult too, but their album Electric that Rick Rubin and Andy Wallace did, and they were trying to mm-hmm. make it sound like uh, Back in Black. Um, David, the cult hates that record, and that's my favorite mm. cult record. You know, like, um, <laughs> yeah. there, it, it, it really isn't what, like Matthew said, when you put it out there, it's kind of not yours anymore. Yeah, you're letting go of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful, beautiful. So, Aaron, did your fans, when this came out, did you get any backlash from Rose Blossom Punch or Poor Lou fans that felt betrayed? Mm. There just wasn't enough internet to know. Ah, you just didn't have any fans. I just didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sadly and beautifully and hilariously, and I know that a lot of this has to do with just the way people consuming music change so much in this Mm -hmm. time, this album sold way more copies than anything I've ever put out. Mm. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, as a solo artist. Was that because of Pamplin's support? Kind of because this was their thing that they were like... We want you to do this. Probably. And so they pushed it. it. it uh, I think it was also just luck, just timing. You know, um, I didn't do, well, I know I did do another one a year later, and then it took me a while to do the third one. But yeah, I don't, I mean, the third one was on a smaller label, but I don't know. It resonated. It was right place, right time. And it didn't sell a lot. My God, do, do, do not. I mean, I think I don't. I actually don't know the numbers offhand, but I think it sure. sold like ten or fifteen thousand copies or something, which is the most I've ever sold. Yeah, uh, I of think a solo you did record. your first three in three years. This yeah, is, uh, I did. That's is, right. Yeah, yeah. it's impressive. It's like banging them out. Yeah. yeah, but and then I did. Then it was like twelve years. <laughs> <laughs> you were a little busy <laughs> between then. Yeah. 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 
<laughs> but yeah, I don't know what people thought of it. And Rose Blossom didn't. That's like a whole other podcast. Like we we <laughs> didn't really get a chance. We had some issues yeah. with our label, and they mm. there's I think there's only a thousand copies of Ephemere out there or something like that. Oh, wow. So because um, the right. label destroyed the rest of the cds um, well that's dang. unfortunate but hopefully we can all take solace in the fact that mm. we're gonna go ahead no. and dive right into nice. track one yeah <laughs> solace <laughs> Aaron, when is the last time you listened to Moon Traveler? Um, I've listened to a little bit of it in the last few months because I, the vinyl. I guess yeah, before before uh, the vinyl, I guess then. Oh, mm-hmm. why a long while? Um, we're actually remat. I've I've I found the DAT transfers of the original mixes for this, and so we're re- literally remastering it. We're not cutting it from a CD, so. Um, Oh, oh sweet. Uh, that'll be pretty sweet. Yeah, nice. This song is the closest to how I wanted to sound. Like I I nailed it. Mm. In what way? It I was, you know, the I was really into the some of the breakbeat big beat stuff coming out of of the UK at the time and mm-hmm. mm. I wanted it to have this kind of drum loop vibe. That's why I bought the Akai and um right but i also wanted it to have this like britpop vibe too right mm-hmm. i think of all the songs kind of hit the mark of what at least that thing i was doing and then not all bad we'll, we'll get to that one <laughs> I, I, I will just derail this whole podcast if you let me <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're here for that's literally what we're here for so <laughs> it's true but to your point like the the mix on this one does feel really full really engaging like it's a great opener like the low end is there there's dynamic stuff happening kind of in between yeah. the vocal like little hooks and 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 yeah bits it's of kind of the flavor. most produced one probably and feels like a great album war opener it really sets the stage of what we're about to get into that's exactly totally. what i was gonna say too i <laughs> often on this show talk about the first track like how important it is for a first track to like give you the vibe of the record and i think mm-hmm. this does such a good job of like kind of letting you know like as a listener like what you're in for i did notice it opens up the record but it also like literally opens up at 28 seconds the electric guitars come in but they come up straight up the middle and then they like pan to the left and the right which i thought was an interesting like, do you remember doing that, or was that just like a, oh, forgot to automate this part, and it just, but it's well, interesting that they come in, then they spread apart, and then that, they stay apart. That's a, that's a, another story time, which is the the JR story. is what I'm going to have to tell that at some point, so oh, you can yeah. remind me to do that whenever you feel it's appropriate, but yeah. Okay. I mean, we might as well do it now, <laughs> right? <laughs> if it applies to, to this song. <laughs> Okay, in part. it does, because this is the first song JR mixed on the album, too. So, um, Sweet. So, okay, I was getting ready to mix the album, and I I was going to book my friend, I think I was going to book my friend Kip's studio to mix it. I had never worked 
with another mixer before. No one else had ever mixed anything I had produced. I had always mixed everything myself. In the time between I, me signing my record deal and me being very late turning in my record, I finally finished it up at Jeremy's place, which he didn't know about until we were well into our <laughs> late 30s, I think. So, like, <laughs> you know, probably 20 years later, I told him that I recorded hmm. this record in his basement while he was on tour. Amazing. <laughs> Love that. I get a call from Dino Elefante, who is John Elefante's brother. They were in of Kansas fame. The band yeah, Kansas, well, right. um, <laughs> who has got who w- w- was hired to be a consultant A and R for Pamplin Records, and he also was the owner of the Sound Kitchen recording studio. He and John mm. owned this studio that started in uh-huh. L.A. but had moved to Franklin, Tennessee, just a couple years before this, I believe. Jr. would remember better the, but Jr. was like their whiz kid in-house engineer guy and they talked him into moving out to tennessee with them and Mm. they built this studio that really at the time was like the blackbird of tennessee it was the Mm. premier recording facility in tennessee it was insane and he called me and he's like hey we want this we want our guy jr to mix your record and i was like uh no Absolutely not. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I had never heard of JR. I didn't know. Right. He had, I think he had mixed, when, I don't remember. What, yeah, definitely. He mixed Shawl. I think he mixed, JR mixed that, I believe, the Prayer Chain record that Steve Hindelong produced. But I didn't know who he was. I didn't even, I don't think I had looked at the liner notes on that record. And <laughs> Dino was like, look, I get it. You're apprehensive. We will fly you out. This will be all extra budget. Like, I'll fly you out. He'll mix one song, and if you don't like it, you can use our studio and mix your record. And it was killer. SSL in every room. It was awesome. And I was like, okay. So I was just mentally preparing myself to tell this dude that I didn't like his mix. Because I knew he wasn't going to be able to get (laughs) what was in my head. Right. Right. Especially some Nashville guy. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I get out there and I meet him and he's, you know, he's got hair down past his shoulders and he, you know, he kind of looked kind of metal to me or like butt rocky. And I was just like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) This is, he was so nice too. And I was like, I'm just going to. He's just going to think I'm a, such an crush asshole. this poor kid. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then we got talking about the Beatles, and, you know, it turned out he was like 10 times the Beatles fan I was. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. Hmm. And um, so I go in, I, I leave he, for, you know, a couple hours, however long it takes him to mix a song, and then he calls me in to listen to it, and I sit down, and I just could not believe, not only just what an incredible mix it was, which it he is, you know, just one of the best ever, ever that's mm-hmm. ever lived, in my opinion. And that mm-hmm. low end you're talking about, that is one of the things that he can do. It's voodoo. I don't understand how he does <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, it really is amazing. It wasn't just that. It was the it was the entire posture of the mix, like where he panned things, how he placed it, how what kind of treatments everything had was exactly what I would have done if I knew how to do it, you know? And um, so I just couldn't believe it. I remember I had chills all over my whole body when I was listening to it. And I just had never heard myself sound like that before. 
and Dude. or anything I'd ever done sound like that before. That's what started the lifelong relationship that I still have with JR. You know, he's still mixing. He's mixing two records for me this year, and we work together. <laughs> like we both have a job at the same company and he mixes all my songs that I make for this company and um but yeah so that I mean he this record would not be what it is without him and I love that you started as like enemies yeah I mean the whole like (laughs) tooth and nail sound wouldn't yeah the whole tooth and nail sound would be completely different well so that was crazy because the first cutlass record is what I brought JR in on and Brandon was super apprehensive he was like I don't know dude and I was like just trust me like you know, just, I was like, you have to trust me. Like, if we do one record, I know you won't want to use anyone else. And it was true. Like, he mixed that record. And, that was know, it. That was it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The rest was history. That's so cool. The way you led up to that story, I was so prepared for it to be, like, a negative story for you yeah. guys to be, like, later years yeah. Beatles. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, oh, no, it's a real, like, John no. and Paul situation. Right. Uh, that's so rad. That's yeah, so cool. and he, you know, became one of my closest friends, too. And the way that we can communicate is so crazy. Like, I can give him very little notes, Um and he knows exactly what I'm going for or thinking, you know, and... It's special when you find those people. Oh, it's crazy. If you, Especially if you look at the diversity of what he and I have done together over the years. And I haven't yeah. ever counted how many records he's mixed for me, but it's it's a lot. It would yeah, be hard to do so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Dude, that's so rad. Uh, so... The rest of my notes for this song just sound dumb. <laughs> yeah, I can't really that, top I'm just that. Like, oh, that's great uh, song. Really like that. Yeah, I got first instance of sweet, sweet bass. Yeah, I talk about it on the show. Uh, I love me some sweet, sweet bass. Uh, Matthew, do you have any anything specific about this song that you want to get into? No. <laughs> no, I mean, just great. No, I, uh, I, I think that, like I said, it was a great album opener and I, th- I think that like you've all mentioned the mix is amazing the uh, i really like the choice of instruments you know like you you're saying you had the drum loops you got the acoustic guitar mm-hmm. you got the electric guitar you got those little synth uh, keys that come in and your yeah. vocals are mm-hmm. great like i th- i think that yeah it sets yeah. up this album really really well yeah. thanks i love guys. the synth sound and uh, i still chase like, that that sonar yeah. kind of submarine yeah. synth mm-hmm. i still yeah. chase that oh, sound yeah it's great like, I wish I still had that sense. <laughs> yeah. The the last thing I had is those little, like, hammer-on. I know this is exactly the kind of thing Josh was saying, uh, but the little Wheatleys <laughs> on the guitar, uh, mm-hmm. th- that's, like, my favorite type of lead line. It feels almost like a, like a vocal line, like a vocal melody, mm-hmm. but it is very much, like, specifically, like, you can only do that on a, a guitar. part, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, I love it. It's yeah, so it feels good. pretty effortless. Like, it's not, mm-hmm. it's very natural, which is, yeah. which is cool. It's not, it's not, like, try hard. You're not pushing it. So, the, the, and that stems from two places. One is, I don't know how to play any other kind of guitar, and the other um, is... I, I had this profound experience with this the, the uh, Johnny Marr cover issue of Guitar Player. It was late 80s, I think, mm. early 90s. Um, I think it was like 80s. I don't remember when it was. Anyway, he just 
kind of broke down his philo- his guitar philosophy. And I was a huge Smiths fan, um, still am. And um, hmm. he, one of the things he said is for, he has a personal rule that if you can't sing a guitar solo, then you don't record that guitar solo. Oh, that's so hmm. good. And so, so simple. I agree with that. Well, that kind of goes back to we just did um, uh, we just covered Southern Weather mm-hmm. by the Almost and our buddy Tanner. He's a mandolin player in like a bluegrass band. Mm-hmm. He talked a lot about that, like in the bluegrass tradition of like doing solos and stuff. Mm-hmm. Of like you, you just got to do the melody. Like mm-hmm. you have to yeah. establish the melody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I I don't know. I just like the idea that that concept musically just kind of crosses all genres it's just like (laughs) weezer is sort of my favorite example of that um i think Mm -hmm. the green album Mm -hmm. actually has a lead vocal melody guitar solo on every song on the green album if i'm not mistaken Mm. oh yeah it's good uh yeah it's pretty fun that makes sense do you guys talk about lyrics on this? Or, or oh yeah, like, oh, oh yeah, I would that's, be that's very cool. interested. That, that's going to be TJ's purview. I, I mean, I don't have anything to say, but I would love to know what these songs are about. I don't ever listen to lyrics when I. I don't either. To songs. I'm a vibe guy. I n- I never have any idea what any song is about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was interesting to me, Aaron, to hear that it was like something that you were approached to do because mm-hmm. that changes my whole tack on the way that I was approaching this album lyrically. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it it does make me wonder new things, though. It's like, did you have some of these laying around? I uh, really enjoyed y'all's songwriting episode on your podcast. And I know you talk about, like, usually the melody has to hit first or with lyrics. Right. Like, you don't, you, you rarely will do the lyrics first. But, like, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear about, yeah, like, what, you know, on these songs, what was your approach with? Like, a lot of, especially my early stuff, um... Melody and phonetics and phrasing kind of come Mm. first. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I try to fit. And then, you know, to be completely honest, like this song in particular, like I wrote it and I liked the way the lyrics sounded. And I thought they might have had little moments that meant something, but then I sort of would feel like I had to Christianize it. Mm. Um, interesting so i would kind of like add like and like solace came with a drop of blood and a taste of shame that was like my little tiny like nod to like you know Uh atonement and uh right you know a lot of these songs aren't that way but especially like i mean my second record um i can't remember the name of the stupid song I can't believe you're such a part of me after all this time you got through your loving way. Mm-hmm. Oh, Kind of States. It's the fucking oh, title song. <laughs> title track. Okay. Um, <laughs> that one I specifically like tried. They, they, they asked me to write a Christian radio song, and that was the closest oh, wow. I could get to doing wow. it, which is hilarious because it is, is such not a Christian radio song. But Right. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, like, a lot of these, you I know, <laughs> I was really into Elliot Smith around this time too, and right really on. into, yeah. you know, of, I don't know, Red House Painters. Just trying to, mm. I was just trying to write some cool ass lyrics, you know, and and Tenna's Wife is the only deliberate one. We can get to that when we get to it. But um, sweet, I'm really, cool. I'm really excited for that. Well, uh, you know, all of this to say, Aaron, between just your songwriting approach and uh and and everything i just i wish i were you uh so let's move on (laughs) to track number two i wish i were you 
recent years, I have noticed that your face is slightly changed. In the season of the bitter bill, that pulled your heart away. In the day, love those bends. So good. That's so funny, Matthew. My literal first note is those bends are great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and here when the drums come in, they hit. So good. It's great. Are those sample drums? Are those the sampled ones? Yeah, I mean it's all samples. Um this might be one that Melasco literally played a loop on maybe, but it was the same mic and the same mic position on the same drum kit. He just would literally on a couple of the songs he played, I don't remember which ones, and I might have even got it wrong in the liner notes, but he played... <laughs> it says Solace in May. Yeah, so this, this one I must have just built. Like, I played the hi-hat, and then looped it, oh. and then played kicks, and looped that. This one, when I went back to listen to it for the remaster and re-release, this was the one that kind of surprised me the most. I feel like mm. yeah. I mm-hmm. was like, I actually am really proud of this. Yeah, so good. I I did I did have a a very specific question. Do you know right here at at one twenty eight in the song, is the vocal oh, performance doubled or is that just a slapback delay? I believe it's a or double. Or is it a, it's a double? It's so good. It's so good, and I couldn't figure out because it sounds like a delay, but it's it's got that that sort of quality of like multiple vocals in there it's so good Mm -hmm. and i wish i were you is definitely a nod to why can't i be you by the cure like the just that that premise um yeah Mm -hmm. i just love the moodiness of it Mm -hmm. so much yeah it is it is a mood aaron was there if you had to create a, a character fact or fiction like real or or imagined that this song is about or 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 like that the singer is is speaking to could you pull something up like is there anyone in your head you know when you were writing it or even now today like listening to it a lot of these songs especially on this album were really my attempt to write important songs songs that would be important to people and that they would be able to apply mm. there's a, the little beetle ending too is that was yes. so yes. yeah. so, so George nice. Harrison. Yeah, just trying to make these sort of things that people could hold on to and yeah. make it their story. Make it make it their th- own. Th- and that's definitely a love song that I wish I were you. It's definitely a love song. But. Right. We talk a lot about um on this podcast, we talk about the universal and the personal and how really great songs can can strike the balance of being both. Yeah. That's what I and I, I feel a lot really of that on this album. For, yeah, that was yeah. definitely striving for that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I love that. I mean, even like the <laughs> I love the line. You remind me of a waterfall that turned the earth to mud because you can't really decipher whether that's a good or a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. is this? Are we happy about that or? Yeah, are we just trudging mud, along in the mud? Definitely has sort of a negative connotation to it. But it's such yeah, a good line. It funny. paints a great picture. Did the bitter pill line, did that just kind of float up out of the ether? Or Probably. was that, yeah. there wasn't like a, a sort of experience you had or a conversation with someone about medicine or, or pills or anything? I don't think so. I think okay. a lot of, you know, there a lot of my 
self-deprecation comes through mm. in this uh, era. You know, a lot of what I have now come to see as trauma and abuse, um, which is this sort of like you were born garbage and like right. with, without saying this magical thing or thinking or believing this magical thing, then then you'll be at least worth saving. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of that is coming through and, and it, it continued to come through until pretty much certainty was the first thing I did that didn't have a pretty heavy mm. uh, hand. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's very rare that I would write a, sp- a song about a specific person, place, or thing, though. It was it was sort of taking my okay. experiencing experiences and feelings and amalgamate this sort of scene, uh, like a like in a movie or something mm-hmm. that other that people other could people relate could to, mm-hmm. project their own story onto. Right. Yeah, right. that's cool. I-, I like that approach as a way to write songs because I feel like you know how to do that in a way that's still going to feel authentic and and feel correct for you as an artist. But mm-hmm. then it also like leaves room to, like we were speaking about earlier, hand the song over to the listener and really let mm-hmm. it become yeah. theirs, you know? Yeah. Which and that, really because cool. that's how I experience music and, you, you know, use music um, myself. Vibe guy after my own heart. man it's such a tease you doing that sweet guitar lick at the end and then it just ends you're like it's five seconds and we're done like i thought we were gonna get into it i know (laughs) leave him wanting more Uh, he did something i've always tried to do yes it always makes me so mad but so Josh does a really good job of that. Like with with my music, like he'll do something like that that I just love. That I personally, I, like, I want this through the entire song. You would milk <laughs> and, it, and and yeah. you just like, like <laughs> y'all know how to show that restraint of like restraint is a huge part of yeah. production and songwriting, in my opinion. Anyway, is yeah. you know you gotta, trimming and got to. Leave them wanting more. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't don't bloat the song with mm-hmm. too much of a good thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, we have anything else about I Wish I Were You? I want to say, speaking of too much of a good thing, Kylan, our next song. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Good transition, Josh. Which, if I'm correct, is actually about a real person. So hey, I'm so excited to get the into one this. exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. Track number three, Antenna's Wife. They matter. Claim when they read her rights, she was causing quite a scene. They threw her in the Lincoln Town with the cuffs too tight. Did they have to be so mean? So, right off the bat, uh, so one of the things we do too when we go through albums is whenever we get to our favorite song, you know, we usually like to proclaim it, and this is this is my favorite song on really? this record. Really? Interesting. Yes. Same. This is- <laughs> we all three have the same favorite okay, song. So I bought this um, breakbeat vinyl at a vinyl store. I was going to had- ask about the breakbeat. Yeah, the, Thank it was you like so a vinyl. Uh, it was like a pink vinyl that just had a bunch of random breakbeats on it um, for Whoa. DJs to use, and that's right. the drums on this or that. 
dope. I just loaded so them into the Akai and went for it. I have no idea if they were license free or whatever. <laughs> you just Absolutely haven't no sued idea. yet, so it's I think so you're okay. <laughs> I really wish I still had that vinyl too. That would be yeah, so cool. That would, that would be not. sick. Uh, what a gym. So though. I yeah, I, I do actually, you know, uh contrary to character typically on the show, I I wanna I wanna start this uh by talking about the lyrics because as everyone's kind of alluded to, it's like an actual, like very, it's a very specific thing. And I want to know the story because I personally, like it feels really dark. And one of my favorite things in the world is really, really light, poppy kind of music mm-hmm. with really mixed dark, with yeah, really dark yeah, lyrics. Themes, that is yep. one of my favorite things Me in the too. world. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, so I basically heard or read, or I don't remember where, um, about this Cold War era double agent American okay. American spy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And his his spy name was Antenna. Wow. Hmm. When he got caught, they executed him and his wife. They killed both of them. Oh, the wow. United States of America executed both of oh, them. Oh my god. That's literally the only thing I know. I just made up everything else. I just basically made up <laughs> okay. this whole story around that, you know, um, and wrote that song. That's crazy because the Lincoln town with the cuffs too tight, that image mm-hmm. feels so like it, it, like, feels it was like lifted like from a real that. thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a scene, like on a, on a news, you know, eight o'clock news hour or something. Yeah. It's just, I've just watched way too many movies. So um, it shows. It's just. And it, and yeah. it resulted in an amazing song. So, we and it was you. it was kind of an exercise for me too to see if I could take this right. thing and embellish it a little and make a song out of it. Um, right, because I'd it's, never it's done another that before. Beatles. It's another mm-hmm. Beatles reference. Mm-hmm. I mean, because mm-hmm. they literally would do that: is read yeah. a newspaper, yeah, and write a song, yeah, yeah, or That's read great. off a circus flyer. That's so cool. And okay, I mean this statement in the absolute best most complimentary way this is the perfect <laughs> skating rink song <laughs> as, as no someone who was that. A, yeah. a child in the 90s like the vibe is very yeah like i could imagine myself with like my little inline skates just like jamming out on on the skating rink that's like, funny this, this, this could come between tub thumping and uh, <laughs> steal my sunshine and yeah, I would be like this is fucking great that's great that, uh, and that's what I was going for this, I was very you know like I said into this British thing that where they were using a lot of break beats in the, right. in the late 90s and it's funny because I use roller rink as an adjective when I'm making records when I'm producing records like oh this is a very roller rink moment here and it's always a I positive it. thing it's never oh, hell yeah. right. it's always hell yeah. on the same okay. page <laughs> I mean to me that's Nailed like it. the ultimate if you can get a yeah, roller rink praise. kind of moment yeah you're <laughs> 10 well, out of 10 no notes yeah. <laughs> yeah. hell yeah alright all right. 10 out of 10 would skate to this would skate yeah. to this for sure yeah. Yeah. backwards and forwards would skate to this yeah <laughs> No, I, maybe it's, maybe it's the breakbeat for me, but it also feels like it, you could turn this into like a Beck song, like yeah. something off like Gloria, yeah, yeah, totally. yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. so uh, totally. that's probably a lot of the reason why it's my favorite song. Here, but yeah, and then you're going it's off like, on the electric guitar at the end. It's not the love. Oh yeah, cool. it rips. This is the one that I should have should have been on Lackluster, you know. Also, mm-hmm. it's it's <laughs> it's interesting too it, that. 
I noticed it's I don't know if it's sandwiched between I I think so, but there there's quite a bit of uh six eight on this album. Yes. And then this yeah. one is very definite four yes. four. Yeah, like, it was like I had a hard time not writing in three back then, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. I have a, I have a quick question. You, you recorded this in Jeremy Enoch's basement, isn't that also where he recorded his uh, Frog Prince Frog, album? Frog Queen, yeah. Frog Queen, yeah. Uh, some of it, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of it was done down there. Cool. Same house. Some yep. good stuff came out of there. <laughs> That's yeah. rad. The things those walls have heard. Yep. <laughs> That's great. And what is Kalispell? Am I supposed to know that is, is that a reference? Uh, it, that's a town in Montana. That was the, oh, the only other um, tidbit that I remembered. It's that they l- were living in Montana. Oh, okay. So oh, I just wow. picked Kalispell because I thought it sounded cool. But it, it's that's a just great a town. It is cool. Proper now yeah. that I had yeah. never heard in my life before and <laughs> really took me to a weird place. I was like, is this... Because I did kind of wonder if it was a Cold War thing, and I was like, is that a place in the Soviet Union? Yeah, or, totally. Like, <laughs> like, what's going on? Here? That's it's probably why they Montana. picked it. Yeah. <laughs> feels like home, brother. Comrade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's such a good song, man. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I, I like cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know now why they got die. caught with those accents. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, have we hit your favorite song yet? Uh, growing up, that was my favorite song, uh, nice. easily. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see what hits me today. So far, yeah. I wish I were you is is my favorite today so far. Mm. But we'll we'll okay. see. Nice. I'll get Good. back to you. Very nice. All right. Cool. Right on. Well, you know, <laughs> let's hope that the rest of the record is not all bad. <laughs> I, don't know. I saw I'm you trying. trying so I know. Hard I was like, what's I gonna say? I'm trying. Here we go. Track number four. Not all bad. I'll just start this off. This is a very close second favorite for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember I saw a YouTube series, and it's still out there. I watched it the other day. Uh, You did a a brief history of Aaron Sprinkle where you were playing a couple songs throughout your catalog. Mm -hmm. I think it was around the time Water and Guns came out. Mm -hmm. Um, But you played it, and then you talked about this song uh, and kind of like some of the meaning behind it. But ever since I, I saw you play it, on the video, like live acoustic, it's always like stood out to me, and I've always really loved this song. So this oh, is thank you. very close second favorite for me. I I love that it comes after uh, Antenna's Wife, and be, because this song is so deceptively simple, and then what the fuck is going on in this interlude? And so we'll 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 get to that because I cannot figure out in my brain what yeah, you're doing there, sucks. and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> So this song was produced, recorded, and mixed separately from the whole rest of the record. Really? And actually, this is like the, the only one re- with real drums, right? Right. And the whole rest of the record was done when I did this song. Hmm. Hmm. I needed another song. A real diamonds on the soles of her shoes situation. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Nice. I needed another song. I wrote this song, and so this song is actually. 
a glimpse. So I had sort of finished Moon Traveler, moved on. I already had sort of a different thing that I wanted to do next. And this is like a sneak peek. Into of, the next of, phase. Right. And so cool. my friend Blake Westcott, who was the singer of a band Bloomsday that I produced a record for on Brainstorm Records. And if you've never heard this record before, it truly is one of the greatest things I've ever had the opportunity to work on. Cool. Um, he was immensely talented. Like hmm. he And he had gotten into producing and had this studio um, in this house, that it's this legendary house that was originally rented by Daniel Fairbanks from Soul Food 76. He had it and then ended up, Blake lived in there, Dave Bazan lived in there, um, all oh, these wow. different people lived in there. They had this studio and um, Paul Muma, who played drums on this, was the drummer for Rose Blossom Punch and he was also the drummer for Soul Food 76 and he played drums in Merlis Forest for a little while too. But um, hmm. I came to Blake with this song and this song is... I feel weird even saying this about my own, but this this is in the top five of my favorite songs I've ever written. Oh, yeah. It feels the most like a song I didn't write, if that makes mm, sense. Yeah. Mm. Something that came to you, sort of. Yes, yeah. And you were kind of more of a channel for something. Right, and so mm. Blake and I were really going for this sort of Neil Young kind of, like, totally almost young. harvest thing yep. with this. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we cut it to this Otari eight-track one-inch tape machine and it was mixed it was we cut it and mixed it in two days you know it's just like wow fast boom 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 you know um i played the guitar paul played the drums blake played the slide guitar i uh Mm. and the piano i think i played uh the electric guitar and blake might have even played the bass on it i don't remember he is credited with bass yes i had Mm. this bridge idea that just went to this f that i always play where you just literally play the e and a string and leave everything yeah. else open and um he is the one that fucked up the time signature on it he's like what if we did this and i was like i don't even understand what you're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> and even to this day this is one of the few songs that i always play if i do a live set even if i play five yeah. songs i play this song and i cool. still have to count it out in my head when I play the bridge. It's on two, three, two, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, two, two, three, two, three, uh, 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 uh. That's how I counted out in my head. And then down, down, and then it goes back. Yeah. So it goes to, it goes to three, four, six, eight, or whatever, but it's also like skipping and doing weird stuff. I don't know what it is. I don't have classic training in music, so I couldn't even tell you what it is. But it's some weird thing that he thought of, and I was. There's like, like a bar of two yeah. in between the something the like base. Yes, yeah. It is. I just, I just love it because it's like it, like the first part of it is like a waltz. Mm-hmm. It's like very right. three four, and then it's just like oh, this like really like sweet, like I said, deceptively simple song. Yeah, it's like jazz odyssey. 
Like, right. fuck your meters, man. We're going <laughs> to yeah. do whatever we want. I love it. Yeah. It's like, it's so rad right in yeah. the middle of the song. Yeah, it is really cool. I do remember the very end when I, uh, when I go up an octave. The way I sang, <laughs> losing my mind. How I came down like that. Mm-hmm. A little dip. Blake was like, are you sure you want to do that? It's a little jazz hands. And I was like, yes. <laughs> like, this song is jazz hands, man. No, that was like Blake and Bazan and Casey Faubert and all the, they always do, do that jazz hands thing as this real diss to what you were doing. Right. Like, right. It's, it's just shitty jazz hands if thing. If it's like hokey or like something. Like Paul McCartney. Like, yeah, like oh, some right, yeah, cheesy Paul McCartney thing. And I was like, yes, I will own it. I like the yeah. jazz hands, okay? Well, dude, I mean, Macca <laughs> is a legend, so he if he could do jazz hands all day, then so can you, man. <laughs> yeah, Deal with it. Bazan, I'm calling you out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dave. Come on this podcast That's and great. defend your position. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that this song is great. And what, what I love about it, too... Is like lyrically again. It's doing that thing that we've talked about, where it's it's hanging out in that space between the universal and the personal. Yeah, it's kind of like it's out there a little bit, to be honest. Yeah, but but that's weirdly what draws me into it. Like this idea of immunity, the line about you wrote my name with an underscore, it made me realize what I'm good for. I both have no idea what you mean by that, and exactly <laughs> yeah, and the, the exact yeah. idea what you mean by that. You, that was exactly what Perfect. I was intending. So thank right. you. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I think this was me fighting that conditioning and narrative that I was, like, fundamentally broken. Um, Mm. Like, Mm. I'm not, like, is that real? Like, I'm not all bad. You know, literally, like, that was Mm. sort of the thought here and kind of, like... You're wrestling with it and trying to release it. Yeah, and, like, the beauty of life and Mm -hmm. just the sort of things that I was grew up to believe were just temporal you know sort of earthly things like friends and community and all that that kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. just just like who we fundamentally are i just and i don't know that i was consciously um thinking about that when i wrote it but well yeah that's that's so often what it is that's what i that's that's why this song is so important to me now uh it's because that's at least the meaning that i've given it so totally yeah you wrote that. it before you knew that that's what you were writing about. Absolutely. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. And what I love about the chorus is the, I mean, first of all, that imagery is just so effective. I cry myself awake, like the f- mm-hmm. the flip on cry myself to sleep is that, that alone, like just makes a oh, really thanks. cool uh, refrain or like idea to me. Like what I get from it, at least personally is like, there's a sense of fight even in the, the midst of pain or confusion or like, wait a minute, like, I'm I'm flawed, I'm broken, what, what is this? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm crying, but I'm crying myself awake. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a push, there's yes, a resilience yeah. in it. And, and a decision to, like, embrace, you know, what it is to be human, what it is to kind of, like, work through these things and mm-hmm. figure it out and, and live, you know? So, yeah, I, it makes it a very powerful chorus for, for me, at least, which is really cool. Thanks. Yeah, great song. Agreed. A plus. A plus. 10, out of ten, no notes. No notes. Would skate to it. <laughs> yeah, would, I, Even this one. I would. I Even would. This one. Weird timing part. <laughs> um, yeah. All right, guys, let's move on to track number five A Friend I Had. Standing in the shadow of what you 
didn't notice how many 6-8 songs there are, but yeah. you're right. Oh, yeah. You're mm-hmm. very right. Mm-hmm. This is my second favorite on the album. Mm. Nice. Thank you. Why okay. is that? So uh, a big thing uh, on this record for me in this sort of like critical analysis, right? Like like listening to it critically, the way my brain works, you know, is like trying to find comparisons, right? Mm-hmm. And it kind of hit me specifically on this song because I, I, I can never quite figure out like like what does this song sound like or like what does this album remind me of? Like mm-hmm. what is it reminiscent of? Mm-hmm. And then Aaron, it fucking hit me the thing is like every local band that i loved like coming up in in middle school and high school so like you know 2005 2006 like like this is what everyone was trying to replicate (laughs) you know it was like like this is what all like every local emo acoustic act was like trying to do unsuccessfully right like like (laughs) this is this is you know because this came out like seven eight years before all of that so so Ah, this feels weirdly like influential to a lot of acoustic emo music Mm -hmm. that 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 came like almost like like 10 years later crazy Uh, that's awesome yeah i i found that like like really fascinating like like Mm -hmm. when that kind of locked in for me it's like oh yeah it's like this is the good version of all of that yes exactly (laughs) exactly yeah yeah but i totally hear the elliot smith here you know Mm -hmm. like oh yeah yeah. and it's in the best way like it's it's really airy you know kind of ethereal but but grounded with a very emotional vocal performance yeah it's so it's so great I love the production on this, how it starts very, very thin and it kind of builds as it goes through. And the, mm-hmm. you're not adding yeah. a lot. You're adding very little things to it, but it it really just kind of, I don't know, it builds in such a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Do you ever play this one these days, Aaron? This used to be my closer for every set I did. Nice. Yeah. I can totally see that. Just because I get all belty at the end, you know. It's a great way to close outside B. Yeah, and I, I love when you get into the you are older now part at the end and how it all winds down. Yes. Mm. Thanks, guys. <laughs> this is just an Aaron love fest. Yeah, mm. we're just <laughs> it's like, we're just kind of gassing you up. Yeah, <laughs> we, we should do this every week. <laughs> it, <guys>. Yeah. <laughs> well, fortunately, you have back, a man. lot of records to <laughs> yeah, go yeah. through. So anytime. Yeah. How come I wasn't on the Southern Weather one? That's what I <laughs> We could redo it. That's one of my favorite <laughs> records I've ever. We, we could. We ended up talking oh. way too long about mayonnaise on on that record. So, cool. Uh, We're very professional. Yeah, we would... <laughs> Don't ask. <laughs> yeah, I dude, I love that that lead line too. It's yes. like it's yeah. it's it's as a vibe guy, you know. It's like I I I go for in music. I want. An emotional connection, not not even necessarily like not even necessarily lyrically, mm-hmm. yeah, but just just like in my heart, in my soul, like I just want to, yeah, I want, yeah. I want to like feel like I'm in a movie. You and I are very and, similar in that way. <laughs> there, there can be songs that I'm are like 
I'm like, this is the coolest thing I've ever heard, and I realize that I have literally no idea what one of the words yeah. to that song. Okay, is. we we, we just talked about the, on we, the podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we we that. just talked about that with um, Zombie EP by The Devil Wears Prada about how it's the only Devil Wears Prada a- album that I like, and I have no fucking clue what they're talking about, and yeah. I don't care. <laughs> like, I don't care. I don't care. It's like it's just a vibe, and this song is like a total vibe for me that's funny my wife shelly just said that same thing about that ep um it's the only <laughs> thing of theirs she likes <laughs> nice. Oh, really? nice. that's so great funny. well and especially when the when the lyricism in a song actually kind of fits that approach to a song like the lyrics are simple enough that you can vibe to them mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah like the refrain of you are older now like that's like it's so simple but it says so much it's it's economical, I guess is is what I'm trying right. to say. Yeah. yeah, I like I like a good economical lyric for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, more, say, more say bang more for your less. buck. Totally. Okay. All right. Sweet. Well, let's move right on to May. Track number six. May. May, my friend, will you ever understand? This song, another vibe song. Yeah, very much so. I I remember where I was when I wrote this and that I was like, because I wrote, I write as I'm recording, you know, I don't, Mm -hmm. a song is never finished before I record it. This one, I was like, (gasps) I did it. You know, another kind of like solace where I like got the vibe I really was going for, you know. Um, What, What was the vibe you were going for? I don't know how to describe what it was I, until I got it. Mm, I get that. But it was just, you know, almost everything I listened to at the time was coming from the UK. It just, I don't know. Well, okay, so so for me, the vibe I get specifically on this song is like a Jeff Buckley song recorded in the UK. Oh, yeah. <laughs> definitely. I mean, I yeah, I was a big Buckley fan, too. So, yeah. It reminds me of, of Luscious Jackson. Mm. See, that is probably a little bit more of what was influenced. Is that kind of a vibe. Like, those... Yeah. Where these people were taking these killer, very, like, kind of classic late 90s alternative things and marrying them with this sort of the break beats and the soulful sort of right you know back and you know all that kind yeah. of stuff mm-hmm. um well mm-hmm. part of what contributes to that i think so i i'm really curious does the hi-hat have a gate on it because when it opens and then closes it's like the sound like no that drops out that's so. yeah because i was playing them on my i made the Isolated. samples and the played thing, them right, on yeah. my and you just right. Okay. So you have open ones, so you have closed so, ones. So the you yeah, know, when you, yeah. you choke, you know, you can set the pads up so right. the, the the closed chokes the open. So it just Right. Right. And Sweet. you know, if I change especially if I changed the tempo or used hi hats from a different or, or not specifically for this tempo, they might have been right. open a little longer than they would have been. Um mm-hmm. but I liked how that sounded. I liked Yeah, that. no, I love totally. it. It's just yeah. like a weird little like kind of sonic thing mm-hmm. that like little keeps nugget. it really uh driving to me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it gives it a unique sound 
I like the slow build at the beginning where you had the keys and then you brought the acoustic in as percussion mm-hmm. and then the drums mm-hmm. came in later. Right. Like I love that. Yeah. A great bridge here too. No, I think it does a good job of kind of mirroring Solace. Like you said, you nailed the vibe on Solace and you nailed the vibe on this song as like mm-hmm. your side A and B opener. Yeah, I think yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it mirrors right. it really well for yeah. that. That's interesting. I didn't think about that. This part's my favorite part. Right yeah, I remember when I got that lead sound on that Yamaha keyboard too. I was so stoked. That super. Uh... Yeah, I was gonna ask about that. Do you do you remember what it was called or? No, I mean, God, I would do anything to get my hands on that <laughs> right? synth again. It's so good. But I, it was blue. The synth was blue. The whole thing was well, blue. So I could probably find it. I doubt they made a yeah. lot of blue synths. Right. You know, right? It'd be easy <laughs> um, to spot. Out. We're yeah. gonna start a GoFundMe for this. Um, yeah. Let's yeah. do it. Anyone out there? Um, you gotta, we'll, you gotta we'll find it. We'll find at it. us. At our project. Somebody make, needs to make a VST of it. That would be sweet. <laughs> yes. Oh, sure. So I had to borrow another eight at for a bunch of these songs because to get another eight tracks because because mm. you know they were eight tracks and you could sync a bunch of them up together. So I had to borrow one and like that one and Solace and some of the other ones I had to sort of like. And I would bar, I would, I would borrow one, and then I'd sync it up to another tape and do a bounce of what of the eight tracks I had on the other one down to one, down to one, just so I could have another seven tracks. And in the end, I never used those bounces, but it was so I could give the eight at back to the person and oh wow, and then have seven more tracks to work with. Um, hmm. Nice. But then when I went into uh, into the sound kitchen to mix, I brought the tapes. Which is also just wild to think about. These t- were not backed up. I never made a backup of these tapes. Oh, gosh. And it's just wild. I mean, these were VHS <laughs> tapes that these things took, and they were notorious for eating tapes. Right. Uh, so if yep. you didn't back it up, you would just lose it. You know, it was gone. <laughs> um, but I brought the tapes in, and they dumped it down to the Sony digital reel-to-reel for mixing. Um and I remember feeling really relieved once they dumped it all down to that. Cause oh, like, okay, yeah. I'm now sure. it's got yeah, a backup. Yeah. They got it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's <laughs> breathe a little That's bit. That's wild. <laughs> well, oh, man, I had You know what would for... happen if you lost <laughs> all of that hard work? You would never know what sorry could be. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> you're just trying to what sorry could be. A long time ago, I might have been tying my hope. I died before I could. This is another one that I almost always include in a live set. Um, mm, mm-hmm. I don't know why. It's really fun to play live. Um, like this little thing. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah, has fun. like a cyclical feeling to it. So I could see you really creating a lot of dynamic ebb and flow live. Yeah, and it does kind of, it, it is sort of circular. The, even the mm-hmm. chord progression of the chorus mm-hmm. kind of yeah. goes around. Right. Aaron, I have to let you know, my wife's big note on this record was on this song, she really likes slow tambourine. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Specific. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. it so do really I. Is. This reminds me a little bit of like uh, early Death Cab. 
Oh, like, cool. The way that, that chord yeah. progression and the way that that acoustic line is kind of just played like the arpeggios and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a very big compliment. Yeah, it's good. I think when I first heard this album, this reminded me of that Straight Six album that you did with poor Lou. Yeah. I kind of had like a similar kind mm-hmm. of like, um, I don't know. A feel to it. Yeah, maybe the acoustic with the bass with without like a drum crushing drums. You know, there isn't a kit yeah. on this. Um Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think this is the I think the bass I can't remember if the bass on this album I bought this Hoffner, like this they made a, like a ch- super cheap version of of the violin bass. And uh mm-hmm. And I put flatwounds on it, and I'm pretty sure I used that for some of this anyway. I know I didn't use it on Antenna's wife, but I'm pretty sure I had that. It was super cheap. Too. It was like $200 or $250. It was <laughs> nice. really shitty. Uh, but it's it still sounded like that, you know, Hoffner-y thing. So. Right. But I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember if it was this album or the next all, one. Was all the bass going through the bean as well? I'm assuming you're not doing bass. No, the bass was or? a Sansamp bass driver DI, I believe. Okay. Just yeah. I'm, not, I'm almost positive. Yeah. Well, speaking of the bass, that part at the end is is really cool. Like, I don't know if you are able oh. to pull that off when you do it live ever with somebody. Yeah, I've, I, I had a band. I, I, I did have a band. Fair actually is be, came about from my band. I the live band I had at the time was Joey Sanchez, mm. Eric Newbill, and Nick Barber from Portal Lou on bass. And I was like, let's just do a band. Let's stop doing this solo right. shit and make a band. So, <laughs> I'm glad you did. That's how we you know? did Fair. Yeah, many people are as well. Thank you. Yeah. Nice. nice. Yeah, I had the same note, TJ. The bass at the end. Yeah, I liked a lot. It's great. Yeah, such a cool ending for a song. Again, it's a bit of a departure, but it's like the exactly right kind of departure. You, I don't know. At least my ear was like, "Oh, cool!" Like more mm-hmm. really interesting, vibrant, low end stuff going on. That's or cool as we say on the show, more sweet, sweet bass. Hey, <laughs> sweet, there sweet. It is. There it is. I didn't want to usurp your term, Kyle. <laughs> no, please. I I share it with all. I love it's me generous. some sweet, sweet bass. Josh, I know you had uh, a little bit of a tangent. You wanted to go I on I do have briefly. something. We're, we're seven songs in. I think we need a little bit of a seventh inning stretch. We've talked a lot about Aaron, but I want to talk about Matthew. Yay. Yes. I, that so means I, brought I can a lot go of pee. Aaron. There you go. <laughs> yes. I yeah. brought a lot of Aaron show and tell, but I also have some Matthew show and tell. I, have, oh, hell yeah. I don't have a drink for it, but I have my Pacific Oak. Yes, I have one right of those. <laughs> and Matthew and I are in the Starflyer 59 Facebook group, and I messaged him. I don't know if you remember this, but a little while ago, I messaged you about getting uh, the Copeland and Pacifico split EP, and I I coordinated with him. He ordered it for me and then opened it and signed it and sent me a little note, too, as well. Sick. Uh, That's fucking But, yeah, so I have... I I want to share some Pacifico stuff in this episode as well. Yeah, I feel like... Yes. Witnessing a little moment. Nice. It's really cute. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. That was that was right before I blocked you. <laughs> yeah. I was like <laughs> right before Josh became too weird. much. We've all had that moment with Josh where he's like uh, a dead. little too much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Give me an inch, I'll take a mile. That's no, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I have other albums, you know. 
<laughs> Your new one's really well, good. Well, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, if, if we're going to go there, I, I will say that self-care is definitely in my running uh, for top album of, of 2023 so far. So, Oh, wow. No, it's yeah, great, man. It's good. It's so good. Thank you. It's really it, good. And, and it, it once again, it, it resonates with my wife as well. She likes, like, chill guys making music and and <laughs> i'm just like all right well we'll just play this for the next month in the car like it's yep. so good it's so good well cool thanks yeah i think that's what i'm going for if i can get the wives and children to like the songs then, then, <laughs> then it'll be, be on all the streams yeah exactly yeah. You, you know your target demo there matthew <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> honestly the thing that like made me this is, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Matthew, but it's going to sound, Uh-oh. I don't know if it's going to sound bad or not. I'm sort of trying to play it out, man. <laughs> that made me, that. like, interested in, like, getting to know you better was how much I loved your music. Well, Hell nice. yeah. Yeah. That's super Thank cool. You. No, that's amazing. Well, I mean, you, you guys kind of talked about that, like, you know, and you guys had those episodes on your yeah, podcast yep. about, like male friendship Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. also like something that i think the three of us totally relate to Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i'm really grateful for for music being something that allows you to form really meaningful connections with others especially like coming out of a sort of bro-y like yeah right a little yes. toxic masculinity culture yes. um <laughs> it's so it's so cool yeah. it's freeing so that's, yeah. that's really <laughs> mars nice. hill <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like, <clears throat> well, okay. No, you should really listen to this song, and 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 maybe we can watch Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, uh, cool. All right, football, you, football. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus was such a fucking badass. Um, so sure he was. Uh, yeah. I think that. I don't know. I was gonna say something, but I lost. I well, cool. you know, it's all in a know, day's work. It, oh, there it is. <laughs> yes, oh, oh, to it. Saw it coming. Oh man, you're gonna take the next one's on gonna be podcast. really easy. Here we go. <laughs> Track number eight. All in a day's work. It won't get better on its own, and it'll follow you along. All in a day's work. Man, this is one I would love to hear. Like, I feel I was just listening to him. Like, I feel like this could be like worked super well, full band. And like, you wouldn't have to speed Mm -hmm. it up at all. Like, it could still be kind of slow, but like heavier Mm -hmm. and like really built out. There's nothing I love better than seeing a live band not speed up a song. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like yeah, when yeah. they actually <laughs> play it drudgingly almost, that's so cool because no one ever does that. Everyone just plays it so much faster. Mm-hmm. This is definitely showing my cure, my love for the cure yeah. on my sleeve. Totally. And, mm-hmm. you know, they are like, if I absolutely had to pick a favorite band, it would be the cure. But yeah. This is definitely giving those vibes to me right now, anyway. I don't remember specifically what I was thinking when I wrote it. (laughs) But then the chorus kind of throws you a little bit. It does, Mm -hmm. yeah. I just really love the production on this album. I love love how you really just, you built, I mean, maybe it's all a mixing, I don't know. But like, built a tone, you know, like how this kind of like takes a minute to get there. And then when the drums come in on this too, it's like, damn, you know? Mm -hmm. It really grows. In a way that feels organic, you're never you're never yeah. thrown by any yeah. of the new elements that are introduced. They all feel like they belong. 
Yeah. But it is kind of a gradual mm-hmm. movement. It's. Well, I think what, it's funny. Go ahead. No, no, no. People hear enough of me on this podcast. Oh, I was just going to talk about how interesting it is for me, and I'm going to throw myself under the bus a little bit here, but to hear these records that I made before you could tune vocals. And uh, Mm -hmm. because this has some real pitchy vocals in it, this song does in particular. And uh, I do know that I was, you just, you thought about what you were doing differently when you didn't have the option to tune it. And um, Mm. so like, like on average, like, like how many vocal takes would you do? So as I got closer to the, you know, having to fly out to mix, they I did less vocal takes because right. it was I was right. I I mean I think I finished <laughs> this the night time. before I flew to Tennessee or something like that. Wow, uh, all in a day's work. So you know <laughs> I probably just was got a, the vibe good and was like okay that's it you know maybe right. didn't even really listen to it I don't know you know and like you're it'll it'll be fine you know uh, right. so. I mean, honestly, the best advice I ever got from a vocal producer was because I've I've done most of my music in the tuning age. You know, it, it they never really cared about stuff, but uh, he was telling me he's, he was just like the feeling is what matters. He's like, right. and he was naming like popular songs, you know, and stuff, and be like, listen to the song. What matters is it, you can tell he's at its key. You know, like it doesn't matter. It's the feeling right. that matters. Get across what you're trying to sell, and the the rest of that, you know, at least now we can tweak it. But even if you know, we go listen to like old '60s records, you know, they weren't tweaking anything, and right. it's no, you can tell it's and not perfect. Yeah, but if it's you great. listen to totally. anything before, you know. DAWs were being used, and if right. you listen to it yeah. critically, as if you were producing it, and it was a take, you hear all sorts of shit that you would yeah, fix. Yeah. But and that's the beauty of it. And I think you're kind of probably right. Like I probably didn't even think that was pitchy. Honestly, I probably and just totally didn't right. even like it was no. like yeah, yeah. it felt how I wanted it to. And uh, yes, right. It's got a good vibe. Yeah, yeah. And so. I think there's something about music that I miss with that too. I, For I kind of sure. You just feel the the music, and it's not because I mean nowadays everything's too. I mean, in my opinion, just yeah, usually too too overproduced. Where it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, this this is perfectly tuned everything, but it's but that it was something when vibe, I worked yeah. with when I worked with Jason Martin, he wouldn't tune the guitar every time between takes, and I was so used to that. And he's like, yeah, but if you do that every time, it's going to sound too perfect. He's like, it needs to be a little bit out of tune, and I, right. I'm like, I get that, yeah, all yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, art is like an extension of our humanity and our attempt to connect to others and exchange an idea or a feeling, right? So, like, at its core, yeah. it, it is about being honest and, like, raw and authentic. And so, mm-hmm. any overproducing or pitch correcting that's going to suck all the humanity out of the track, why would we do that, right? Mm-hmm, why? Right. What's, what's the to point? To make money. So, that is Maybe. true. That's very true. <laughs> I'm yeah. just kidding. Got us there. <laughs> but I feel like the, the the stuff that resonates the most is the stuff that didn't get all that life sucked out of no, it. No, right? for sure. hundred um, percent. There has to be a tether to right. your subconscious. It has to hit right. some point yeah. where it like y'all said earlier, tugs. Like the emotional response that mm-hmm. the listener has to yeah. it is what matters, right? And that's what hooks that's right. people. The only so. reason anybody likes music is from the emotional yeah. response. They, they right. even if they don't know it, that's why. Yeah, right. and you know that that that's something that's been resonating with me a lot lately, 
and that I've been, you know, as, as someone that has grown up in the sort of like laptop producing age mm-hmm. of like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, I I got Ableton Live mm-hmm. when I was, <laughs> you know, seventeen, you know, and and have been making music ever since. Like uh, something that's you know really hit me lately has been that sort of like however I can sort of artificially create a deadline for myself and just like put something out, whether that's like, you know, being on like a compilation record or something that some people put together on Twitter or something. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, well I have this, this date. And so this is what it is. It's a timestamp of where I was in this moment. And I think that's like super important for mm-hmm. art that, Parameters. yeah, that mm-hmm. like art that specifically, you know, resonates with people long-term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because like, like as, as like a, as a music nerd, you know, I'll, I'll spend seven, eight, nine, ten years between records yeah. because I'm like, oh, well I could do this better. Well, and but then then you get into the whole thing of like George Lucas doing the Star Wars like special editions with shitty 2002 CGI. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, well, no, just just let your original thing just be, and people yeah. will connect with it. Move on, you know? right, bro. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Don't let perfectionism get in the way, or the editor, or the critic, kind of like keep you from For creating. Sure. For sure, you know yeah. it's like 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 the whole time we just want to stay a step ahead, yeah, uh, uh, of everything. So here we go, track it. number nine, a <laughs> <laughs> uh, step ahead. This is the weirdest song on the record for sure. I think. <laughs> oh, I this is it. cool. The drum <laughs> part on it. this is so strange, and I'm here for it. Yep, same. It's so weird. <laughs> no, it definitely stands out. But it's like track nine is a great place to put a weird song because you're like, you've made it all yeah. the way to the end yeah. almost. Here's a weird one for you. Did you put another loop on top of that drum part that was already on? Yeah, there? that's what's happening. So um, it's a cool. full time over half time thing. Yeah, I like it. It's cool. Let me, ten out of ten. Almost, wood skate like a drum and bass kind of thing or something. <laughs> what? Uh, oh, ten, ten out of ten. skate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is something that I would want to do, and whoever I'm in the studio with would be like, "No, bro, that's dumb." <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And then the accordion, like that's I a, love the accordion. Interesting thing. I love it. And again, even that accordion feels a little not locked in tonally. There's a couple right. moments where it feels there's some tension there, melodic yeah. tension, and that's what I like about it. It's it gives a character, it puts me there, you know. Mm-hmm. Is that the Yamaha too? Is that an actual accordion? I feel like it's real. Oh, really? It sound it sounds real. It does. Yeah, yeah. it's got like the the like especially when you're talking about the t- tonality of it because like it was mm-hmm. a. Keyboard. I think it was at like, Jeremy's house. It was like this little shitty accordion thing that Jeremy had, and I think I just <laughs> nice. used it. Nice. Like, I feel like I can hear the air, you know? Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. a little bit, which is, I don't know. Yeah, you can hear me pushing on it. Yeah. (laughs) 
And that riff is so great. Yeah, I don't. I I mean, I was just probably like, I need another song. <laughs> Drum loop song. Because yeah. I wrote all these songs for this record. I don't. I yeah. might have had an idea or two for Rose Blossom Punch that I pulled in, but like a sketch, you know, absolute sketch. Right. But mm-hmm. all fresh. Yeah. So y'all's la- the Rose Blossom Punch last uh, record came out in 99 as well was this before or after that this was after it was actually kind of during because we the band broke up in the middle of recording the ep and then we finished it yeah after we broke up and i I bought that ep on mp3.com yeah that was the only place it was ever released is that that sorry to disappoint you (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah it was the only place it was ever released until we put it out a a few uh, just three years ago or whatever on vinyl yeah Wow. And the only two things I bought on, on mp3.com was that and Viva Voce. Nice. So right. <laughs> oh, Viva. Yeah. Well, guys, um, I know, Aaron, you have to go to the store, and you probably have to get in your motor car and, and go there. So here's our yes. last track, guys. Motor cars. I'm beginning now to understand That it's nothing I can say Motor cars with racing strides Keep getting in my way This one's so fun, too. This is like a perfect last track. Yeah. yeah right? Like, just electric guitar, you know, very, like, post-grunge kind of thing. Like, it, yeah, it just... It reminded me of... Uh, Glycerine by Bush for mm-hmm. some reason. So it's ah. like a slow song with like distorted guitar and yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I can't think of many other songs that have that. Right. So I was heavily inspired by a song. Not I didn't rip it off, but at least I don't think I did. Um <laughs> called uh Coming Right Along by the Posies. It's mm. it's a John okay. John Hour song where he just plays this huge distorted electric and sings over it that's that's all that's in it um his is way 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 cooler than mine but that's definitely where i kind of got the inspiration to do a song like this hmm. well and it reminds me of blurry eyed on fair's first record too mm-hmm. yeah with like oh, doing that, that as yeah. well yeah like vocals and just a strummed distorted electric guitar it's a cool, cool i love combination. that that's like my favorite sound it's like so fucking cool. I used to do shows with just an electric. Oh, nice! Um, and that's it. Like I would that's play great. the whole set with no backup and not acoustic. Um, I actually—that's my favorite way to play a show. Actually, it's just yeah. me and an electric guitar. So this one was very good for that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. There's something once again, like vibe-wise, you know, about the dichotomy of doing a kind of like acoustic performance, but mm-hmm. then yeah. just hearing really heavy distorted guitars mm-hmm. that just, it, I don't know what the place is, but it puts you in a very specific place and it's the perfect end to a record. There's so many people doing it now. Like I feel like this was setting a precedent, like this approach to songwriting and performance, like live performance of 
stripped down songs, but doing it with electric, like all the Phoebe Bridgers copycats mm-hmm. are like all. Right. Or I, doing I feel like this. like Andy Hole from Manchester Orchestra heard yes. this and was like, "This is what I want to fucking do." <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. right. Well, he did. So he works. did grow up in a Christian home, and and he mm-hmm. he does know go. who Aaron is. So I mean, it right. is possible. I know it's very possible. Yeah, <laughs> your Atlanta <laughs> buddies. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting, and I'm curious what your thoughts on this, Aaron, for, like, when I'm hearing this, you feel like, at some point, the rest of the band's going to come, and it's going to have this big yeah. crescendo finish. Yes. But, like, just you happen. didn't do that. Yep. Yeah, you didn't. Why? Restraint. Yeah. Restraint or limitation or both? <laughs> How do I do make the song good without doing that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then also, laziness. <laughs> that's more to track i like it to record that sounds too hard i don't <laughs> want to do that yeah. Yeah. yeah my adat's only got so much tape yes on. yes i got already all my favors were called in at this point <laughs> i mean sometimes there are other times where artists do that and then they end up just taking off the stuff anyway because the, the what matters is that part that you did you know yeah sometimes you add so many tracks and they're just getting in the way of what was the core of the yep. song and i right. honestly have absolutely no idea what that song is about and you know what absolutely no no tonight aaron (laughs) i'm fine about it (laughs) yeah i'm beginning now to understand that it's nothing i can say no it is a great it's a great song like and it and it's still even though it strikes that kind of liminal space where it's like a little vague like it's also so it it does put you in a place, kind of like you were saying about the electric guitar thing, Kylan. Mm-hmm. Like the lyrics put you the motor car as a visual, like you know, thinking about somebody kind of needing peace of mind, and maybe they're all alone, or they're thinking about somebody. And there's so many ways you. Can That's what it's about. It. Thank you. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> DJ always does this. Yeah, I know he, he does. He's so good at doing this. <laughs> is it about? Is it about Kylan's dog Paisley who just joined the oh, podcast? Yeah, yes. I it's think Paisley. that's what Paisley. Motorcars yeah. is about. Yeah, TJ, I'm, I'll just if I don't know what my songs are about, I'll send them to you, and you can tell me what they're about. No, yeah. he's we'll so fucking seconds. good at that. Yeah, <laughs> it's like his I superpower. <laughs> I know what they mean to me, and that's all I can right. volunteer. Yeah. That sounds good, and Sweet. I think that that's I, I, that's I'll what's important. It. Yeah. All right, guys. Well. Uh, I don't want to keep you too much longer, so I'm going to end it right here. Um, we just listened to this whole album, Moon Traveler. I gotta say, that was a fast trip to the moon and back, you know? <laughs> it, was. Distance. it was. Yeah. It was. I think we did it pretty well. Record time. I, I think so. So I have to ask really quick from everybody, what is your final flopper bop verdict? Is Moon Traveler by Aaron Sprinkle a flop or a bop? <laughs> Matthew's giving us like the she's on the edge, the middling thumbs. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's a bop for sure, and I am uh, very honored that our podcast is namesake comes from this album, and um, mm. I'm super stoked to finally hear it on vinyl and and spin oh, it, yeah. and and I I love uh, myself, you know, like a lot of these stories I did not know, uh, and being a fan of this album and knowing now, you know, how some of it was recorded and how it came to be was very very awesome so thank you for that Aaron. oh yeah. thanks matthew oh do we just strengthen y'all's friendship mm. because that that is our entire goal of this show because <laughs> uh, that's what we do with ourselves do you know what i named this album after Tell us. a brand of bottle rockets called moon traveler <laughs> ah, nice that's so nice. good that's so good i love it 
All right, TJ, what about you? Is this a oh, flop man. or a bop? <laughs> it's a big old stinking bop, man. I'm going to the moon and back. <laughs> right there, you go. Let's go all day. Um, mm-hmm. you have how would to y'all say this feel? Right, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I'm that's not. what I was just about to ask. <laughs> like, how would y'all feel if I was like, "Well, yeah, this album stunk." I, uh, I, you know, I, I was, see what you was, were trying to tough, do with it, Aaron. It was a tough. Build. Okay, oh, it was you know what though? You know what though? That's, that's actually so a, a, a great transition because okay, so I am consistently trying to turn this podcast into a movie podcast. So the biggest comparison <laughs> that I had was to me like based on your your other albums uh to me this feels like stanley kubrick's the killing Mm. Uh, i don't know if you guys have seen the killing but uh only kylan would shoehorn kubrick into this (laughs) not even his space movie either no 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 so so the killing was like his first real movie right feature and 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 it's one of those things where like when you watch that movie now, given context, you know, there are parts that are like a little rough around the edges, but you can see like the seeds of of, of what he would become as a filmmaker. Yeah. And Aaron, I, I saw a lot of that oh, that's cool. in this record. Like, you know, I I saw like based on, you know, now like the past 24 years of context of like I can see the ingenuity of working within limitations mm-hmm. and I think that's like so fucking cool and I cool. super connected with this record and it is a hardcore Stanley Kubrick bop from me <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. a Kubrop <laughs> it is a Kubrop <laughs> thank you that's, that's a huge yeah. compliment Josh, Josh what about you I mean I'm, I worry the day when we have to like flop a record to some artist's poor face, but this is not the day. I've got the, the CD and the cassette. Uh, I mean, it, what, what else do I have to say? It's a pop. You've got Aaron's face in multiple places in your house. In, in, in blue. Very blue Aaron here. That's great. And uh, to cap this off, I've got some information about Antenna. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, yes. I found out that Antenna's name is Julius Rosenberg. His wife is who the song is apparently about is Ethel Rosenberg. Nice. He went by Antenna and then changed his name to oh I lost it. Where's that? Uh, oh there it is. Uh, and change his name was later changed to Liberal and her uh, name was Sasha. Her, oh wow. Her, uh, mm-hmm. There's a book that you can get called In the Enemy's House. Ah. That is uh is it. about. Their Sweet. story. So That's Aaron so wrote the forward. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so great that you, you used all of your time to plug your show to talk about this book. So <laughs> this is us at CJN. No. Um <laughs> Okay. So yeah, we we want to reserve this time to once again, like I said, I cannot fathom a world in which people that are listening to our show don't know <laughs> who you guys are. But uh if you want to talk about like anything you want to promote right now, we would love that. Um, yeah, we, Matthew and I have a podcast called Moon Traveling. Our next episode we're doing, uh, we got to talk to Randy Torres. Still for that one. Uh, nice. One of my closest friends and collaborators. He worked with me in the studio for years and now he does sound design for, you know, he did Tenet and 
Nice. Yeah, like yeah. Oppenheimer and <laughs> like he's like Unreal. Dunkirk and all these crazy movies that he does sound design for. And he's just one of the best humans ever. Um, and he was in Project 86 as well. But that's oh, like yeah. whatever. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that'll be out soon. And we have a bunch of other fun episodes and you can check it out. And that, And like we've talked about too, I am currently in the process of re-releasing this album on vinyl for the first time. It's never been on vinyl. Um, it's going to yeah. be mastered, you know, remastered. Uh, I redid the artwork from the original Polaroid that I found. So it's like the same artwork, oh, but it's kind of all That's jacked so up right. looking because it's all scratched awesome. from sitting around for a while. So it's it's going to... And I left all that in. I'm not going to edit it right. out. So it looks all screwed yeah, up. Heck and awesome. yeah. yeah, and I'm... I did close the pre-orders on that, which I'm going to reopen because the only reason I closed them was to try to get more because I didn't get quite enough to actually pay for the pressing. Mm. So mm. I am going to open them back up again, probably Sweet. in the next week or so. Uh, for an, I'll just do another week of pre-orders on that to try to just get that last little bit of fundage to pay for the whole thing. Nice. And so, yeah, keep your eye out for that. And that's it. Yeah, he's, he said it. We got some other great artists uh, and subjects that we're going to do soon. We have 15 other episodes that you can check out. And then um, we have a Patreon where we have some cool stuff there as well. And then, uh, yeah, he's got his record. We uh, My label put out his Certainty EP, if mm-hmm. you haven't heard that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had an album come out in uh, February called Self Care and several other albums before that. And yeah, we're just... Doing our best. We're trying. Yeah, Hustling. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah, trying. Yeah, <laughs> trying our best. Well, we fucking love it here. Okay. Yes. From all of us here at CJN, may all your favorite bands moon travel together and peace out, Monterey.